0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: I would love us to like think about like how we could spend more time with Genesis. I feel like we kind of, we read a third of it, you know, and so we're going to read this story this morning, which I love. It's one of my favorite um, texts to teach people who are not Used to studying torah um, i 've taught it at a Catholic college the women in the Hebrew Bible, and used this scene um, this text and uh, it, it opens up just a whole new world for them in terms of not just reading What's on the page and really being able to bust stuff open. And I want us to do that as well. But like I said, we're going to spend an hour on it and then we won't see it for three years. Um, so like there's a part of me that would like to figure out how we could spend, we could linger a little bit with these narratives and these foundational stories for us, particularly Genesis. We're
2: reconstructionists. Can't we just assume next time we'll get a resume of last year's fortune? (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) We'll figure it out. Um, all right. So what I want us to do is suspend our normal understanding of the story that we're about to read. We're about to read the story of um, Sarah and Hagar. Sarah at this point is Sarai, uh, princess. Um, so we are going to read the story of Sarai and Hagar. And generally this story is understood as uh, conflict between two women, right, and one oppressing the other. Uh, I'm not saying those things are absent, but I really would like us to look at this with fresh eyes. You've seen, you've heard me talk about, uh, the, the scholar of blessed memory, Savina Tuval. Uh, and she wrote a book called Sarah the Priestess. And this is her book on Hagar, the Egyptian. It is her contention that these stories come from much earlier than ancient Israel, that these are stories in the neighborhood, and that everybody had stories about uh, powerful women who would have been priestesses in Canaanite tradition, uh, and also in Egyptian, right? You, ha- you had goddesses, and often they had priestesses. So uh, for Tuval and other scholars looking at the earlier Sarai, not this Sarai, we know that this is a, a patriarchal, monotheistic tradition, but the, the Sarai from which this derives very well might have been a priestess. Um, and princess, right, as well. So often royalty had dual roles, both in the royal house and in the royal court and in the religious tradition uh, that they were a part of.
2: Are
1: you talking about Mesopotamia? Yes, in Mesopotamia and in Egypt. So, it, it, But yes, in that whole area of the Fertile Crescent, um, these stories, you know, were circulating for thousands of years before we get our <coughs> reconstructed version of Sarai. So I just want us to like hold, I'm not saying, again, I'm, I'm not trying to argue that's what we have here, but I want you to hold Sarai in the neighborhood that character when we encounter our Sarai right, that this is a pedimento of, sto- of character stories that would have wound up to be our Sarai, um, so this is definitely a reconstruction, it is not those stories but um, Tuval reads this story through the lens of Canaanite mythology, so I just want us to go there because I think it's a powerful way to reread this story, alright, I see a hand already?
2: Pedimento? Does that mean like a basis, a pedimento?
1: Like a, a, like a kind of collection of, and what has been distilled from many, many stories, we, we get distilled, a distilled okay. version of the character Sarai. Okay. There was probably a huge collection of Sarai stories. Right. She would have been a hero. She would have been a religious hero. She would have been a representative of the goddess on earth, right? She... Right. So um, and Abraham, too, probably. Right. No was a, a hero figure. And we we just don't have that literature. We don't have those stories.
2: All right. We manufacture a <laughs> few.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the important thing about whether you're just looking at Israelite society at this time or you're looking at. Uh, even let's say the Mesopotamian traditions of an earlier time leading up to this time in either case heirs were incredibly important and we know certainly in Israelite times that's how women achieved status and security and a place in the family uh, was to have a son right? so that is the desire throughout the Bible of what women want is a son what do men pray for? A
2: son Sons.
1: deliverance from an enemy oh. men don't want to be killed in war <laughs> and have everything taken from them women pray for a son that's how each achieves in the world so uh, so we see women praying for sons The in, in the earlier tradition in the Canaanite or the Mesopotamian tradition a priestess would have wanted an heir to pass down Right, her both traditions and role and stuff, right? She she also wanted an heir. So so heirs are critically important in both.
2: For the priestess, would it be necessarily a son or could it be a daughter? It could be
1: a daughter. It could be a daughter. That we that we have some reason to believe that some of the Rebecca stuff, Mm -hmm. the Rebecca narratives, the youngest daughter would have been the one to inherit the religious position of the mother. You'll notice Rebecca's parents are gone. Um, or her, her mother her mother's not in the picture Rebecca's um, and remember she steals the idols from her father's house right, right? if you read that story for, through someone like Sabina Uh-oh. Tuval's eyes Rebecca was taking what was rightfully hers mm-hmm. she was taking the 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 um, ritual objects that would have allowed her to fulfill her role as priestess of the clan mm-hmm. okay. All right, so let us begin at sixteen one.
0: Now Abram's wife Sarai, who had not borne him a child, had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, seeing as Adonai has, not kept, has kept me from bearing a child, have intercourse with my slave. Maybe I will have a son through her. Abram heeded Sarai's voice. Ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took her slave, Hagar, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. He came to Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she had become pregnant, her mistress became for her an object of scorn. Sarai then said to Abram, My wrong is on your head. I put my slave in your arms. No sooner did she see that she was pregnant, I became for her an object of scorn. Let Adonai judge between us. So Abram said to Sarai, Look, your slave is in your hands. Do to her as you please. Sarai then uh, so afflicted her that she ran away, and an angel of Adonai found her in a spring of water in the wilderness at the spring on the road to Shur. The angel said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, whence have you come and where are you going? She answered, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of Adonai said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her ill treatment. The angel of Adonai went on to say to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants. They shall be too numerous to count. And then the angel of Adonai continued, Look, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. Call him Ishmael, for Adonai has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man. His hand shall be against all, against the hand of all, shall be against, his hand shall be against all, and the hand of all shall be against him. He shall dwell in opposition to all his kin. Okay. So we, she called out, I Wait, 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 wait. Okay. I
1: just like that she said, look, we're fresh. <laughs> all right. Many, 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 many things going on here. Many, 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 many. All right. How does Hagar come to be part of this household? a that again. You know, they, they pretended to
2: be brother and sister because uh, Avram was scared to be killed to get Sarah.
1: And so Sarai is taken into Pharaoh's palace, right? And when they... hits when they get thrown out right, because things don't go so well when she's taken into the harem uh, they are thrown out and they are given lots of stuff they are given wealth and they are given cattle they are given all kinds of stuff including male and female slaves so uh, the conjecture is that Hagar is given to Sarai in Egypt she's been a part of the household for a long time there is nothing happening between her and Avraham. Right? She's Sarai's handmaiden. According to both Mesopotamian tradition and uh, early Israelite tradition, if it's Sarai's handmaid, she has full control over what happens to that particular kind of slave. And we're not sure that it's actually sl- slave. There's different slave st- Statuses, um, and so the terminology is important. I'm not an expert in the terminology, but there's um, there's something about shivcha that she's a shivcha means that Sarai is in control of her of of her destiny, of of Hagar's destiny,
2: right? Is a shivcha always? I know it's always a woman, but does she always
0: work for a woman? Would a man have a shivcha?
1: I don't think so. I think he would have a man-servant. Uh It's kind of like the the ancient body servant. Uh You know, like somebody who's that intimate and close. Uh I'm I'm not sure, but I I think it was mostly women. Uh So, uh, so, So she's been in the house a long time. There's nothing happening between her and Abraham. And now we start chapter 16. It's all about Sarai, right? Just... We're just getting a proclamation out of nowhere. The Sarai eshet Avram lo yalda lo. Right? So what's the status for Sarai starting chapter 16? She is the wife of Avram lo yalda lo. She had not given birth for him. You know, meaning a child to him. V'la shivcha mitzrit Ushma hagar And she has a shivcha what kind of shivcha? mitrit Egyptian. An Egyptian shivcha, ushma hagar, and her name is hagar. Tell me about that name. Hagar.
2: It's gear. Gear. What is gear? Stranger.
1: Right. So, and how would you say the stranger?
2: The But they, they made it masculine, though, wouldn't it be hagar, wouldn't it be Hagara, you know, wouldn't you want a feminine version of that stranger word?
1: I don't know if there is one. Oh, well. I don't think there is one. Okay. Ger is just a foreign. Okay. I don't, I don't, but I know what you mean, it should be modifying, if foreign is modifying something feminine, it okay. should have a feminine form, but I don't think it does. Okay. Um, so, the stranger, hagar, her name is hagar. I just don't think we can call that an accident. I don't care if it was the most popular name in Egypt. <laughs> I don't think it's an accident that that is what her is called in our story. Because I think this is a lot about where we belong, where we fit, where we don't fit, who's crossing over. These are Evrim, right? Avram's the Ivri, the crosser over. So keep all that in mind as we... This is not just, right, the story of what's happening is also, I believe, hugely symbolic has a story, so she has a shivcha Mitrit, She has an Egyptian shivcha. Her name is Hagar. Vatomer Sarai el Abraham, and so Sarai goes to Abraham, right, and says, Hineina atzarni Adonai, God has right made me barren, right has has not allowed me to bear. Bona el shivchati, come into, please my shivcha, right." Ulai ibane mimena, and possibly I will be built up, mimena, by her. Okay, so ibane, I will be baned. I'll be built. What else is in that, you can't help but hear what in there? Ben son, right? So all that's happening. I will, I Sarai will be built up through my Shivcha. Because she is part of me. If she belongs to me. Everything that happens belongs to me. So this is about Sarai having an heir of her own. And she will, you, you've seen the handmaid's tale, right? Yeah. Or, or hopefully you have read it. Um, so, right, that, it, it belongs to the mistress. So it will be her legal child. Right, And this is what's called bearing on the knees. Right, We're going to see this when Hagar gives birth. And we have, uh, there's. I'll, I'll find it for you before class is over and pass it around. There's. Um, they have found sculptures in the ancient world of people bearing on the knees of another woman. Um, and then the, the midwife is out front. So it's clear it's not a midwife she's sitting on because the midwife is between her legs ready to catch the baby. But the mother is laying on the lap. Of another woman, the other woman is the one who will claim the issue of that pregnancy. This is exactly the handmaid's tale. The handmaid's tale comes from here. That's why it's the handmaid's tale, right? Um, yikes. Um, all right. So that is what's happening. Sarai is setting up the only means she has at this point, because she's older, the only means she has at this point for an heir for herself, that yes, will of course belong to Avram, because any pregnancy in that tent belongs to Avram, right? But it's about Sarai wanting an heir of her own. All right. So she goes to Avram to make this deal. Avram Sarai, And Avram listened to the voice of Sarai. <clears throat> Some folks want to use that as the beginning of a place where the problems begin. It doesn't say he listened to Sarai. It said he listened to her voice. I said, you hold that and tell me why that might be the beginning of a problem. Right? So, and so Sarai took, uh, Sarai Avram's wife. So we keep getting their status vis-a-vis Avram and the household right? She's, she's Sarai Eshet Avram Sarai the wife of the patriarch and Hagar is the Shivchah Mitzrit the Egyptian handmaid that's how they're referred to over and over and over their status is being hammered right? Into the reader's attention their diff, the difference in their status right, is, is made extremely clear so she takes uh, her, right? Uh, and they've been hanging out there for 10 years. So nothing's happened between Avram and Hagar for 10 years. This is the first time that, that we know of, but I think it's probably... Tr- in other words, the status that everybody's been living with changes now, right? Okay. Uh, that they've been in the land of Canaan 10 years and gave her shivcha, To Avram, Leishah, as. (laughs) So this is where things get interesting. What is she given to him as? It says Leishah. It says as a wife. My translation says as a concubine. Uh So we have to, right? We have to start questioning, like, what is Hagar's changed status?
2: Are those words the same in Hebrew?
1: Wife and concubine? No. Or um, in Aramaic? Yeah, I don't know the word for concubine, so it must be. Right? They wouldn't use concubine for Isha Maybe unless it also can mean concubine. Um, but I, I I'm I don't know. But I, but it's clear that yeah. it's clear that it's possible it can mean Isha can mean concubine. But we have to keep in mind Isha also means wife, and even if technically she's a concubine what happens next tells us the Isha status radically changes what's happening in the house, right? In the clan, radically. So even if technically she's whatever, Isha is used, I think, because that's what in fact happens in terms of the dynamics.
2: The interesting thing, too, is that for 10 years, nothing was going on. And it was only when Sarai made that clear that something did happen. Correct. Correct maybe something was omitted. That's possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely.
1: We can trust that we've lost a lot of material, for but sure, for sure.
2: But it's important. But, this, been but this is what
1: survives.
2: Maybe, yeah.
1: on, purpose. maybe yes. on purpose. Right?
2: To go from a car to a beach, that's a major step up for her. Correct. Yeah. Right. Just ask the
1: women. So the the other I thing the rabbis I mean. point to is is this next line? He went into Hagar, right? Vayavo el Hagar. He went in. He came to Hagar, which means intimacy. Right. Okay. Vatahar, and she conceived. The rabbis want to say this is a miraculous conception, like it, that he goes into her and boom, she's pregnant. this was totally God approved. The proof is he goes into her and she conceives. If she didn't, con- right, that's how we know. Right. Yuffie Buffet approves. Although there's a J text here and an E text. Uh-huh. So there's a difference between the J and E treatment of this situation, but we don't have time to go there. Um, so, um, but in any case, it seems that's what happens. He goes into her, she conceives. So the, what he, what their relationship was about is, is done. It's not like it's a love affair Right? And they went off to Hawaii, and then Sara's taking care of the house, and then they come, like, he goes into her, she conceives, boom, it's done. Okay. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Yes. Alright.
1: The two sources, our earliest sources, uh, of material that we have here, uh, is from the Yaoist, J. And the Elohist, the one who uses Elohim for God. Those are two of our earliest sources. This is a combination of J and E. There was a J version of this story and an E version of this story. Generally we break that out as North and South. E is North, J is South. Remember how long Israel is? Israel's like California, right? Think about how different San Francisco is or even further north is from Baja or like, as far right, you, it's a huge distance, not only um, physically, but mentally, and their approach, and their traditions, and where they come from, and what influences how their stories evolve. So, we have a, a you have to have the United Kingdom's story reflect both the North and the South.
2: And are both reflected here in the Torah? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. It, the, our earliest stories in Genesis are a combination of J and E usually interrupted in places by P. J and E get put together, and P comes in later to punctuate what P's interested in. All those genealogies. The priestly source. Yes. Wow. The priestly source comes in and interrupts the narrative or tags something onto the end of the narrative with the priestly agenda in mind.
2: So how do we see the E here?
1: So scholars like know how to pick that stuff apart okay. both by language and by the way they reference certain things and kind of their approach like e never says X okay. never so if it's there that has to be J right. J always uses Y mm-hmm. and so that has to be a J so right, you know so it's there's an
2: editor involved
1: correct here. correct this has been redacted
2: mm-hmm.
1: right this is what um, Mehmet was talking about right that, that we've inherited an edited version so you, I'm always asking the question, what's missing? Who took it out? What was here that isn't? T- like, that's always happening for me. And then I had my teacher, Blessed Memory, um, Dr. Tikva Fry-Merkensky, who said, Amy, like it's an inherited text. You You have to also see what we got handed as a whole. So I tend to go to all the sources. I want to see who did what. I want to take them apart. I want to cut it up. I want to put it out on the floor, right? And she was like, that's lovely. Right? And she taught me how to do that. Um because she's brilliant. She was a brilliant Bible scholar, but she also um and was an expert in Sumerian and Akkadian. So she knew all of the parent stories in their original languages. The world lost a great teacher to breast cancer. She was just at the at the height of her career and would have been writing so much stuff that we will never Never see about these stories and what the original Canaanite women's tradition was. Um, so, right, that's a long way to. And so, I'm, I'm, the reason I'm going off on this tangent a little bit is because it's, it's going to apply to everything we study. Right? In, in Genesis. Okay. So, where were we? So, she goes, she, so here, Vatere, the end of verse 4, or the middle of verse 4. Vate ki harata. But So she sees that she has conceived, so it's now what? six, Eight weeks later? A couple months go by, she's throwing up, right? She, it's clear that she's... You know, we, have to, we have to read in between the very terse Torah language. A few months go by, she, she understands that she's pregnant, and what is the result of that? She scorns her mistress. She scorns her mistress. You should know that the code of Hammurabi deals with a handmaiden who scorns her mistress and uh, and speaks insolently, you know, to the mistress and uh, claims equality with her mistress because she bore children to the guy, right? And there are even punishments. Her mouth should be scoured with one quart of salt. According to the code of Hammurabi, so they were not messing around. So it's not just our editor; it's not just our version. This was the this was an understand. It was an issue um, in in, in the, literally in the ancient neighborhood, right? That you have a shifcha; she she's given to the patriarch in order to build an heir for the mistress, and when she bears a child, her status in the house. Changes And there are laws to deal with punishing that shivcha if she becomes insolent to her mistress. So this must have meant you don't have a law written down like that in the ancient world unless it's a real problem.
2: It, it would upset the social right? order.
1: It, right. it clearly was a huge threat to the matriarch mm-hmm. to have a shivcha conceive, bear a child, and then get out of line. It was a huge, huge issue. So this is not, we're going, oh, she got, like, so, but, but this is clearly a normal, uh, not normal, but it, it, it's what happened. Look how much divorce law we have, right? It's not an original story. And it's not like, it's not like, why would, why? Because that was the obvious outcome often of this situation. And, and, and think about it today. Do you know how many bar mitzvah families I have dealt with, with the new wife, and her baby in the room with the bar mitzvah kid and his mother and the father sitting awkwardly between them. It's so icky so many times, right? And sometimes new wife comes in with a toddler and an infant and the mother, the first wife, has one child. It it is an inc- it's incredible how often it happens. Um, but also the tension in the room often and and my heart is just kind of naturally pulled to the first, the first wife. wife who's who's often really, really strong. A little older than oh, oh. <laughs> 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 A little let's put it this way second wife yeah. is never yeah. older yeah. than first wife. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, maybe Ever. They may be the same. Never, older. unless you're the president of France. Okay, Macron. You have to love that name, Macron. That's um, right. All right. So, so this happens, and so, so I'm saying it's still happening. We're reading this as an old story, but it's, it's still the dynamic, right? In, in families. This is, this is just the reality. All these stories are brilliant for
2: that reason. Exactly.
1: So, so, so now what happens? So now. Hagar's getting cheeky, right? And Sarai does what? Huh? No, what does she do? She goes to Avram. This is clearly not about Sarai and Hagar.
2: because
1: is not about Sarai and Hagar. This is about Sarai and Avram. She goes to him. And what does she say? Hamasi (laughs) alecha. What is Hamas? Oh, oh, Hamas, violence, chaos, terrible stuff, Hamas. That's why they call themselves Hamas, because that's what they're trying to do, is spread terror and chaos, right? Hamasi alecha. My Hamas is on you. I gave you Natati Shivchati. I gave you my Shivcha, Pechekecha, in your bosom. And as soon as she saw that she was pregnant, right, I am diminished in her eyes. Yishput Yudhei Bavhei, Yudhei Bavhei Bani Let Yudhei Bavhei judge between me and you.
2: This is the scorned woman. Never mess with a scorned woman.
1: What's going on? She's, she's saying, get her in line. So what does that suggest? It's her, handmaid. her
2: responsibility.
1: So <laughs> so what does it suggest that she's going after Avram like this? Because
2: she, she, very limited she, has. Well, maybe she has, has limited power.
1: Either she has limited power she's or... Aha. Sarai blames Avram very clearly for this and she's ready to go to the deity about it. That suggests to me Avram has done something, or I'm not saying he did. She, she believes or sees or, or that's her interpretation, he has changed the status of people in the household. He has done something that has led Hagar to have Sarai be diminished in her eyes.
2: looks
1: he. He looks like he's enjoying the solution to the problem a little too much, says Sarah right hmm? He might want more right whatever it is it is very clear this is between Sarai and Avram too many people want to make this about the story between Sarai and Hagar and it's not is Hagar the you know the interruption of to the marriage of course but it is clearly Sarai who believes Avram has done something to her to her that they have been together. They've been through everything together. They left and went to who knows where. She followed him. Right? Lech Lecha, the beginning of our parsha. Go. It said to Avram. What does he do? Go back home and say what? Uh, an invisible voice that I believe belongs to a new God on the scene <laughs> told me that we should go. She's going to say where? What is his answer going to be? Uh, to the place that, that this new God will show me. And she says, "Sure." Like, I mean, so imagine that conversation, right? Right? Fill in that story that is missing. She goes, like, she gets taken into the palace of the Pharaoh, into the harem, because he lies to protect himself. What happens with the other guy? She gets taken by another guy, right? Another wealthy guy. Twice she's taken to spare Avram's life. This is about something he's done that she feels is a betrayal of a pretty large magnitude because she's ready to go to Yudhe Vavhe. Right? Let Yudhe Vavhe Yishpot judge between me and you. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is where Sabina Tuval and others read Sarai as a priestess. She is very clear that she has access to an oracle. Whether it's direct contact or some intermediary, it is very clear Sarai can go to Yudhei for a judgment. So that, right? So that is clearly one place that they read that this is a long history of Sarai having been a religious functionary herself, because she does not say to Avram, "Okay, go talk to that invisible voice that you know called you." She's empowered. She's empowered. Hundred percent, vis-a-vis the God.
0: Amy, isn't there a conflict here between the concept that the wife is the property, the channel of the husband? I mean, how? Why would she have the power to say to Abram, look, I'm putting you in your place?
1: It's another indication that this might be a matriarchal story that's been, this is the remnant of it, because it's very clear she's his equal. Yeah. Yes. Like, she's going to go to God and get a judgment, right? She's going over Abram's head. (laughs) She's going over Abram's head. That's exactly right. And doesn't feel threatened by it.
2: Right.
1: Right? Right. and so it's another reason we believe this is probably you know, a matriarchal story that has been adapted for the new patriarchal religion of early Israel.
0: The Canaanite history. Yes, it.
1: yes. That it was a time when women had the authority in the house mm-hmm. or in certain parts of the clan had authority vis-a-vis their relationship with the deity, right, to say, <laughs> you need to watch it here.
2: You could say Rebecca did the same thing. She ran the show in her house. That's exactly right. And actually, let's hold
1: that, because a lot of people read um, Rebecca as the new Avram. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just saying. All right. Question. Hammurabi's law, which attends to this, was that a real law? Yeah. Yeah. So why didn't that defend the woman? That, Sarai yes yes so what impact does that law have in this situation why does uh, Sarai have to go to the, to God to uh, as the judge when there is a apparently a secular law that gives you tell law. me because the men interpret the
1: secular law. <laughs> so men interpret the secular law. Who what authority does she want to go to? Her. It's, her. it's very clear here, she's so angry with Avram that this is not about scour her mouth out with salt. Right? That that secular law would have been about how do you punish the concubine. But And that's a Mesopotamian law. It's not an Israelite law, right? So that's A. But B, even if it was the common law, she's not interested in punishing Hagar only. I mean, she's not happy with Hagar. But she's that's not her, I think, that's not her primary interest. The story tells us she's so angry at Avram, she's ready to go to the boss, capital B, right? To rectify what's happened that she feels is Hamas. To her, he has caused her Hamas.
2: Is- Hamas is a Hebrew word. Why are the Arabs using a Hebrew word?
1: Well, those languages are are cousins. Is it
2: the same in Arabic?
1: Yes. Hamas is yeah is violence and chaos and also- all kinds of terrible things.
0: Is there a, a, an issue around the intention that Avram has to get Hagar pregnant? Like
2: if he's going there merely to help his wife, that's one issue, but if if he's got different intentions, is there something
1: in that? We don't know, but that is certainly one possibility, that whether whatever his intention was when he went in, when he comes out, something has changed that makes Hagar, in Sarai's opinion, something has changed with Avram that has Hagar being insolent to her now. So something... Right? I mean, what is it? But I, c- I can't imagine it's that he's playing Mahjong with her.
2: No. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I
1: mean? Like, I think we have to imagine something about his intention vis-a-vis intimacy with Hagar. Something has changed. Maybe, Maybe it's as simple as now that he's been with her and they're going to have a child together that he starts to a little bit about, you know, and when Sarai uses that tone, I just can't stand it. Like, and why does she do that? And why does she always make that pita so thin? Like, it could be, right? So that, right, so that her esteem is lowered in Hagar. So I'm not saying it has to be even sexual. But clearly something has shifted that Sarai thinks is about Avram vis-a-vis Hagar.
0: Was she mad at Adonai because she could not bear a child? Or was that just the accepted situation I move
1: on. Project my anger and so on. <laughs> um, clearly, it's misery for a woman to be barren in ancient Israel. Misery. So is there anger involved? Having been someone who's dealt with infertility issues, um, it is agony. It is agony. To long for a baby and not be able to conceive is the most intense agony. Um, think about how long that's been the case for her. So I have to believe she probably is pretty angry. And then when she sees that something between Avram and Hagar has shifted and now she's being scorned in her own home, when she thought she was going to be raised in status mm-hmm. by having an heir, right? I have to believe that fuels. A lot of what's happening here. But it, but it's interesting that even if it's understood as a punishment from vav Vavhei, she's ready to go to vav Vavhei. Mm-hmm. And expects justice from vav Vavhei. Right? So, so if she believes it's a punishment, or, and everybody in the house believes it's a punishment, okay, but she was able to hold right alongside that, that if she goes to vav Vavhei, she's gonna get a fair hearing.
0: But I, I I I took
2: my medicine.
0: Now these two are messing uh-huh. around. I'm in Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so She
1: should get evicted even before she gives birth. Yeah, but she comes back. Oh, she comes back. She comes back. Yeah. All right. All right. So what does Abraham answer her? <clears throat> right. He beyadech. All right. Your shivcha is in your hands. Mm-hmm. Asela hatov beenecha. Due to her. What is good in your eyes. Right? But Ta'anes Sarai and Sarai Ta'aned Hagar, this is the word used of what happens to the Israelites where? In Egypt. Oh. Where's Hagar from?
2: Oh.
1: Hmm. The matriarch of the Israelites oppresses an Egyptian who has no power and no status and no protection. And what happens in the book of Exodus? The Israelites, who have no protection and no status, are oppressed by the Egyptians. It is a very interesting thing, I think, that our ancestors put this word and this story before our enslavement. We're not angels. Even our ancestors and our sacred stories say... We did it first to the vulnerable Egyptian, to the stranger who wasn't in her own land, who was dependent on them for everything. Then it happens to us. I, I, I love it that our tradition, our sacred tradition, says, You're no different. On some, we're humans are humans, like you know. Very honest. I mean, I think I love that about this story. I'm not proud that we're like this, everybody. I'm not just talking about Israel. I'm not proud that this is human nature. I'm very proud that our tradition puts it smack in the holy scroll that goes in the ark that, you know, we turn to to worship. Like, not to worship it, but we turn, when we worship, we turn, right, and we face, right? I just... I don't know. There's something really powerful to me about that. Our ancestors aren't perfect. They're They're not heroes. They're not right. I mean, they're human. Exactly. And so what happens? And so she flees from before her. She, Hagar, flees from before Sarai. She runs away. It's getting so bad that she runs away. She's a shifcha. She's a slave. She's an Egyptian. She's a girl. Huh? She doesn't confront her. She, doesn't confront her she leaves. She's, she's a slave. She's pregnant. She's foreign. Like, you can't get any lower than Hagar's it's, status. It's got to have been bad. N- now, she's not only all those things, she's a fugitive. She's a fugitive. That's who we're going to be dealing with now. Right, so whatever's happened, what we have for the rest of this story is a vulnerable, pregnant, fugitive, stranger out in the world by herself with nowhere to go. All right, so how does the Torah feel about that? What happens next? And a, mal-ach, a messenger of Yudhe Vavhe finds her. At a spring. At a spring. 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 Of course. has to be. Al-Ein Hamayim. In the Midbar. Right? So it's not just a spring. It's a spring, we're told, Bamidbar, in the wilderness. She is out of place. She doesn't know where she's going. A little bit resonant of... Avram, right so she's on the path has no idea where she's going she's in the midbar she's in the wilderness where there are no road signs there are no traffic lights there are no motel 6s right she's in the midbar and that's where Amal-Akh of abirhab shows up right because this is where we meet the divine in the liminal places she's a stranger in a strange land she's a stranger in a strange land a hostile world that she's in and she's pregnant alright so this is the first appearance people of a Malach in the Torah huh a, the first appearance of an angel of yod in the Torah is talking to
2: a girl,
1: an Egyptian woman slave foreigner stranger vulnerable pregnant fugitive it is not one of ours that a malach speaks to first in Torah. The malach speaks to the one who we are commanded 36 times to protect. I find that incredible, incredible. That is the f- our people wrote this the first time a malach meets a human and speaks on behalf of Yehovah. Hey, is to Hagah. And says, what does the malach say? Hagar. <laughs> Hagar. He's over here saying suck it up. By your The angel, the malach says, Hagar, shivchat sarai. Right? Hagar. handmaid of sarai. So that's your status. You are her what you call it? Thank you. Right?
2: Me not the concubine of Abraham. No. <laughs> just
1: saying. Emi um, zevaat. Where is it that you have come from? The ana te And where are you going? Does the malach not know where Hagar just came from? <laughs> Calls her by name. Right. <laughs> this is the first time she's called by name by somebody else. The narrator calls her by name, like identifies her. So, the first time she's addressed by name is by Yudhei And, or an agent of yeah. Yudhei And you cannot separate them, by the way. Right. You cannot separate a Malach and Yudhei A Malach is a direct agent of Yudhei can't do anything that think Buffet doesn't want. Uh, and often in these stories, it's like this, right? There's, it's a malach, then it's God. No, it's not. It's a malach. So it, it, and it's intentional because it's trying to communicate the ineffable. But if you're using words to communicate the ineffable, how do you do that? You mix up the <laughs> words a little bit.
2: So is malach the generic name for angel? Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. And I hate angel, by the way. I hate that translation because it it makes us think of cherubs and wings and
2: right. It's a a
1: terrible, you know, set of images that we get out of Christian iconography um, because angels don't have wings. They don't have wings because if they did, you'd know right away it's a malach. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows it's a malach till they're gone. Oh, and Abraham realized he'd been talking to three malachim.
2: Well, if they had wings
1: and halos,
2: (laughs) it would have been rather obvious.
1: As soon as he saw them that that's what... They they are clearly human in terms of how they appear to the people they're speaking with. But aren't there some instances in here when they mention ages of wings? That's not
2: a malach. That's a seraph. Aha.
1: That's why I hate... Malach is angel, because then you're thinking of the Seraphim, the Kruvim. There's lots of different figures and characters. Malach is not those. It's a messenger. Okay. So, um, what is our what is Hagar answer? Uh, right? I am running away from my mistress Sarai. All right. So we clearly, uh, my classmate, uh, Rabbi Toba Spitzer, one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life, and I, and I mean that. She's brilliant. Wrote an article a very long time ago um, Where do you come from and where are you going? Hagar and Sarah encounter God. And uh, she quotes many other scholars, including Phyllis Tribble, uh, who, who wrote a book called Texts of Terror uh, about um, women. A lot of them are about women in the Torah. So we, we get this very terse interaction. And for Toba, she says, for the Torah, it's important that Hagar is out of place. She's not in her usual, normal, regular, everyday existence. It's important that she's out of place because that's where the encounter with the divine is possible in a different way. Where did we get Torah? In the Midbar, people. That's where you encounter the divine, is in the Midbar. It's not when you've got it all figured out. It's not when everything's going fantastic. <laughs> right? It's dafka when you're out of place in the middle of nowhere, completely vulnerable,
2: hopeless. So the greatest lessons come when you're in trouble, or right? when you're away. Just saying.
1: <laughs> so the other thing that Toba points out, she's a shifcha, right? We, and we get that indicated here. She and the messenger both agree she's a shifcha, like.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
1: If the first part of the Malach's Malach's question, from where have you come, suggests Hagar's proper place, Mm -hmm. then the second half, where are you going, implies that Hagar is now out of place. Like a director who has lost control of one of his characters, the divine messenger seems to be saying, you and I know your proper place, so what are you doing out here in the wilderness? It is in this context that Hagar answers her words, I'm fleeing from my, from Sarai, my mistress. So she's saying Sarai is her mistress, right? She's not arguing that she's now Isha equal to Sarai, right? She's owning that Sarai is her mistress. Uh, yeah, it's her mistress, right? It goes beyond a simple factual response. Meepne means from the presence of, but it can also mean because of or for fear of. Hagar acknowledges that her proper place is as a servant, yet she justifies the situation by asserting that it is on her mistress's account that she is out of place. While not entirely defiant, Hagar's response suggests a willingness to stand up for herself, a sense of boldness, and a sense of determination. The other thing the Malach is implying... Is that Hagar has agency. Where are you going mm-hmm. implies Hagar now is an agent of her own destiny, her own future, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, oh, oh, you better hide, Sarai's coming and she's gonna find, Wait, it... so where have you come from and where are you going means Hagar deci- is gonna decide her own future, right? About what's happening next. Um, okay. the question suggests as Toba is saying, the question suggests that her fate is in her hands and that we, reader and Malach, do not really know where Hagar is headed. Hagar's answer, though simple recapitulates the two aspects of the Malach's question. In the first part Mipnesa pnesa Hagar has left the place which properly defines her role as, you know, subservient to Sarai I am fleeing Hagar is the actor proactively making the choice to leave a difficult situation <coughs> and it is in fact through the Malach's initial address that Hagar truly becomes the subject in this story right? she's been an object in some ways till now with the Malach addressing her Hagar and having this conversation Hagar becomes the subject of the story not her son, right now, her. Okay. So, what what happens? What does the angel answer? And the Malach of Yudhei Vafe says, "Go back to your mistress and submit to her harsh treatment." And the Malach continues; doesn't wait for an answer, but continues with essentially an omen. I mean, not an omen, an oracle, a prediction. A prediction. I will increase your offspring and they shall be too many to count. Have we heard this before? <laughs> to whom was it said? Avram. To Avram, by whom? God. By Yhreh-Ba'e. is saying the exact same thing to Hagar that Yhreh-Ba'e said to Avram. She is she's getting the exact same message as Avram got your offspring not Avram's your offspring will be too numerous to count that's exactly what was said to Avram because offspring didn't belong to women it belonged to the patriarch she's being told she's going to have the status of Avram that's huge another another nation we know that, I mean we haven't heard it yet but don't be, this is exactly what is said to the patriarch Avram we cannot ignore that Yudhei is treating Hagar the same way that God talked to Avram and giving the same promise to Hagar not an Avram will have offspring too numerous to count through you you will have because what's ultimately going to happen with the story is that she doesn't give an heir to Sarai. It starts that way, but then Sarai conceives. Right? And we know how this story ends. She and Ishmael leave or are cast out. Sabina Tuval has a different interpretation than cast out, but whatever. Um, so she takes Ishmael with her. He does not become the heir to either Avram or Sarai. He becomes heir to Hagar and a new people a cousin people to Israel comes onto the scene through Hagar so even though we're going go back and submit to her but because you have a destiny that has nothing to do with that household but you have to go back for you to have this kid and be safe and have enough to eat like you, you have to go back okay so is it understood that she will bear more children with a rum or with she will have no. other fathers? There will be other fathers no. which she we, will bear. She, she's told nothing about <laughs> that. She just did <laughs> They will be hers. They will, be, you will have offspring right. too numerous Regardless to count. Of
0: who your is, exactly. It
1: not, does Isn't not it? seem to matter. Right. They, the men in, in right. this the interaction between yud through an agent and Hagar has nothing to do with
2: men. Or the patriarchy. That's, that's huge. That's radical. So is this the start of the, the anger between Islam and
1: Judaism? No. No. A story can never be the beginning of that. This is a story written by people who already have antipathy for each other. <laughs> The Ishmaelites and the Israelites were enemies sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you write the enemy story? But they were also allies sometimes. So is this story written when they're enemies, or is this story written when they're allies? allies. Okay, well, we, we, can, we can discuss that, right? But it's to explain the origins of what exists now.
2: It does
0: show up. It is the taproot of what Mohammed
2: used.
1: That's different. How it gets used by Islam is very different, right, right? than this is the start of it. No, this is describing what already is. This is describing how did we get here and being projected back to the ancestors, right?
2: I guess it was Mark's idea that I was thinking it is like a root of another story.
1: No. No, no, it's... Of another story, yes, the one the one created by Islam, right. right, which has Ishmael being the one on the altar right, yeah. right? so yes it's it 's the root of that set of narratives, one hundred percent because it's their their version is going to be supersessionist. You have to use the other person 's stories if you 're going to supersede them. If you have a whole new story, that who cares? It has nothing to do with each other. If you're trying to supersede the original version, then you have to have the same story come out a different way, like a New Testament. Right? The only reason you'd use New Testament is because you're trying to supersede the Old Testament. If you really don't care about relationship to that, you wouldn't need New Testament. You'd say our Testament. The Christian Testament. Right. Well,
0: I appreciated this before, but I'm assuming you're saying that this just reflected uh, historical fact at the time, when it says, oh, he's going to be a wild-ass man, and he's going to be fighting with everybody, and everybody's going to be fighting with him. I mean, that's a lot of words. Just put it there for no big reason. Correct.
1: Correct. Right? So it's describing the Ishmaelites from an Israelite perspective.
0: Yeah. The real yes. situation.
1: And And we read wild ass as bad, I don't think that's what it means. And a wild ass in the meatball or whatever has complete control over their lives and over their destiny. They can do whatever they want. And who's going to mess with them? Right. Right? They're, they're strong, they're out there, right? So, so I'm not, you know, I'm not sure, but there's, there's not enough indication that it's an insult to convince me
2: oh, they're to and they're strong enough to
1: survive Absolutely, and they're going to become too numerous to count that's a blessing that's the blessing given to Avram it is clear that that's a blessing or else God wouldn't say it to Avram right? God uses it to comfort Avram you're going to be a great nation Hagar is getting the exact same prophecy the exact same promise
2: she's got a lot of power and agency So, how is it that uh, Arab women couldn't drive? Well,
1: look, if if we're honest, Israelite women, look how cheeky Sarai is, right? And how strong. And Rebecca, how strong. And Israelite women didn't drive either. I mean, their status wasn't fabulous it It was decent, but it wasn't fabulous it was a It was an ancient civilization, and in the ancient world right that's how things were. If you're a traditional society, you buy into the values that made the gender in our words in unequal but that's not the words that traditionalists would use. They would say that's how it's supposed to be. Just look right there. Right, like. So yes, they have agency, but it's all, it's all still under the patriarchy, right?
2: That is protecting them.
1: Yes, or not. Well, it's owning them, not protecting. Well, but so in the ancient world, it might have been better to be owned than not protected. Right. If you had a decent owner, you could have a decent life. If you're not protected, you nothing. Right? You're you don't know what the next day is gonna bring. Alright, let's let's I just want to finish. I know I um gotta let you go, but I really want to finish because it's so amazing. Um so behold, you are with child. So the Malach keeps talking, right? The Hagar has said nothing. So the Malach keeps talking, right? You're gonna have offspring two numbers to count because you're pregnant. You are pregnant and, and you're gonna bear a son. So I she knows she's pregnant, but But the Malach says, I know you're pregnant, and you're going to bear a son, right? And you will call him Yishmael, for God has paid attention to your suffering. Yishmael. El heard. El heard your plight, if you will. And God has paid heed to your suffering, and he shall be a wild ass of a man. um, His hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell alongside... um, all of his kinsmen, so it doesn't sound like he's completely out there and disconnected, right? So, and I wish we had more time to spend on, on all that, but we don't. But um, <laughs> she called the name of Yudhe Vavhe, who spoke to her. So she is identifying this as a conversation with Yudhe Vavhe. Right? She knows that this is an encounter with the divine, and maybe this is the moment she realizes it. Right? But she she's identifying this as a conversation with Yudhe Vavhe. She calls the name of Yudhe Vavhe, who's speaking to her, Ata Elroi. U R L R O I. Key, and now we're going to get the because, and the because makes no sense. The because makes no sense. So whatever translation you have, forget about it. They're all a guess.
0: <laughs>
1: I can give you 17 translations of this because it doesn't make any sense. The closest I can get, and I'm not trying to pretty it up. Like, I'm, just, I'm not even trying to make it make sense. I'm just, just, read it, right? You're going to keep me honest. <laughs> right? Because she said, "Hagam halom ra'iti ahare ro'i. It makes no sense. So, because also... How long, I haven't seen after you see it, it, it makes absolutely no sense. Possibly it's something about how the elephant got its trunk. We have Elroi. How did Elroi come about as a name for God? Here's the story, right? So Elroi is probably a name that's been used in the neighborhood. This is the story about how that happened. But the Hebrew doesn't explain anything. Something about. God seeing, and also I've seen after you saw me. Like maybe it's something about I survived this encounter, having I was seen, and I saw, and I went on to see. Like that she survives this intimate contact with Yudhevahei. So there was clarity of that she she feels seen, and this is the God of seeing because she is finally seen. (laughs) <laughs> don't know but it and I don't know how people were like oh okay that's how Elro E comes in. Like, I don't know how I have, that was satisfying to anybody as an answer to how Elro E got to be a name for God but also maybe we just don't understand you know some of the it could have been an idiomatic expression that we just don't ha- have access to anymore right because it's a unique appearance of this in the Bible if you don't have it outside the Bible how can you know what certain things mean if it's only in the Bible
2: did, did, um, about oh yeah. Her, oh yeah.
1: Seeing and naming. Um right? The encounter does not end with God's promise to Hagar, right? Instead she names God the one who spoke to her Ata el roi in an act unique to her. Hagar is naming God.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But what exactly is she saying? el Roe can be translated the God who sees me, the God of seeing, and the seen God. The precise meaning of her words is enigmatic. But Hagar is clearly identified in her meeting with the Malach as an encounter with God. Even more powerfully, she does not displace this act of recognition/slash naming onto an intermediate symbol, as does Jacob, who names the place Penuel after his wrestling with the man. Hagar names this deity face to face. You are El roi Hagar has not limped away, right? Like Yaakov does. Her words indicate that she is still in the presence of the divine even as she calls its name. While traditional scholars have minimized the power of this act of naming, Phyllis Tribble captures the power of the moment. This is Phyllis Tribble writing, Hagar does not call upon the name of the deity. Instead, she calls the name a powerful attribute given to no one else in all of the Bible. Hagar is a theologian. Her naming unites the divine and human encounter, the God who sees and the God who is seen.
2: I was just thinking, you know, she's a poor woman wandering in the wilderness, and she says God even sees like the lowest of the low, not just the kings and the patriarchs.
1: Right? Hagar is making a statement about the power of being seen and thus being known. This Malach saw her and called her name. And in his greeting, proved that he knew her. Right? In stark contrast to what's going on back at the tent. In being seen and named, Hagar achieves her own power to see and to name. I think that is one of Toba's most beautiful points, is that how do we come to the place of being able to see anybody else and name, right? meaning call on the essence of anybody else it's by being seen and by being named called by our essence called by our name hopefully that happens from the time we are born it doesn't always hopefully it happens to infants who are seen and named and called right for who they are by loving adults but it doesn't stop there This, I believe, is a type scene, but it's also what happens all the time. Think of a teacher, a beloved mentor, a best friend, who, and sometimes I'm not even being smart or cute, a dog, a cat, like, who, who sees us for who we really are, right? And that, whenever that happens, it allows us it's the only thing that allows us to then really see and call on and name the essence of what we encounter it is only in being seen and being appreciated for for who we are may we go forth this Shabbat uh, ready to encounter one another and through those in holy encounters may we come more fully into who we truly are